Would you all stand? For the reading of God's word, this is John chapter 17, page 903 in the Pew Bible. Pastor Josh will be preaching from verses 17 through to 19, but I will begin in verse 6 to give us some context. So let's hear God's word for us this morning. This is, these are the words of Jesus. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me. For they are yours, all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth, Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. This is God's word. Amen. Let's take our seats. Thanks, Eric. Thank you, Eric. And uh, thank you to Jonathan. Let me commend that ministry to you. It's uh, right outside, and uh, it's really a wonderful uh, way for us to get you know, good Christian books into people's hands, and Jonathan seems to figure out a brilliant way of doing that, so let me encourage you um, to follow up that after service. I think that's the, well, I was going to say it's the first, I heard the announcement at the 8 and the 9.30, but it's the first Sunday where I've heard an announcement get in a round of applause, so that's pretty good, you know, and um, so... We are looking at John chapter 17, and if you have a Bible, let's uh, make sure it's open. We're looking uh, this morning at verses 17 through to 19, and the title of the sermon is How to Become More Holy. How to Become More Holy. Let me just give you a little bit of a framework for it. We're going to have, I'm going to summarize the three, uh, the three requests that Jesus has already made, and this is the third of the three, and then we're going to get into what Jesus says about how to come holy, and there are five things there. So the, the three things that Jesus has already requested, first of all, he has requested that his name will be glorified in this prayer. Now just stop there and think, isn't that the most amazing, the most amazing thing to pray? Just imagine you were in a prayer meeting Wednesday night, Monday morning, or, or tonight, you came back for the, the the prayer meeting for the persecuted church, and someone stood up and they began like this, Lord, please glorify me. What would you think? He was either insane and heretic or both. But here is Jesus, and he's praying, glorify me. You know, if you think, is there any evidence that the New Testament teaches that Jesus believes that he's God? Here it is, right here and right here. Glorify me. 
For Jesus taught earlier that we should pray, hallowed be thy name. But now Jesus is praying and he says, glorify me for he is God. So that's the first request he makes here, that Jesus himself will be glorified. The second request he makes here is that we will be kept. Keep them, Lord. Keep them. Protect them. Guard them. They're vulnerable. I'm sending you out, he says, like sheep among wolves. And he wants us kept, protected, preserved in the world, as we looked at last week. But not of the world. Keep them. How he loves you. How he loves you. Perhaps you're going through a difficult time this, uh, this week, the last few months. Perhaps it's been really hard. Maybe it's a medical issue. Maybe it's a psychological issue. Maybe you're in conflict with someone. And it's just hard. It's just hard. Well, here is the Lord, your Lord, praying that God will keep you, protect you, guard you. And he will do it. He will keep you. For his prayer is answered. Well, now we come to the third of these three requests, and it is, of course, that we will be sanctified. But what does that mean? It's a word we don't often use, sanctified, what it means to become more holy. But what does that mean? Well, biblically, the word sanctified or become more holy is used in the Bible like this. This is the biblical context. It is used to set apart for God's service. Set apart for God's service. It's about being distinct and different, but for a purpose, for God's service. And so in the Old Testament, the word holy is used not only of people, but of things. A holy mountain. That is, it's set apart for God's service. Set apart for God's service. And of course, the greatest example of what it means to be set apart for God's service is Jesus himself. And so really what Jesus is praying here is that we will become more like him. And so ultimately to be holy is to be more like Jesus. That is set apart for God's service. Now, that is what we're going to be considering this morning. And I want to commend it to you as the most important topic, the most important theme that faces the Christian church today, the matter of holiness. Surely we are aware of that. You, you, you cannot read the Christian news or go on blogs for, and, and, and just listen to what's going on in the Christian church today without going through perhaps a month without hearing of some new scandal. We are desperately in need of a fresh desire for holiness, for distinction, for being Christ-like. And so it's very important. It's also very important because... If you're a Christian, you are almost by definition going to want to be more holy. You're going to want to be more like Jesus. When you hear that someone's going to teach on how do I become more holy, how do I become more like Jesus, you're going to want that. There's some sin that you want to defeat. There's some character that you, characteristic that you want to develop more. You want to become more holy. And let me put it like this. If you sense within yourself no desire to become more holy, no desire to become more like Jesus, then you're probably not a Christian. Because when you know Jesus, you know how amazing he is, and it is your heart's desire to become more like Jesus. So now we're sitting on the edge of our seats. It's like, how, how do I become more like Jesus? Yeah, I want that. It's so important. 
but is also very confused. And the reason why it's very confused is there's been all kinds of different teaching down through the history of the church that are still out there in the church today about how to become more holy. And so we're very confused about how to do it. Obviously, I don't have time to summarize all the different kinds of confusions out there, but broadly speaking, there are two categories. One category of teaching about holiness is that it's all about the external. It is, if you like, the monastic theory. The way to become more holy is to separate yourself from the world physically, geographically, because you're going to be contaminated with the world, so you must separate yourself. It's all emphasizing the external. And it's not just in the past, there's a, and it's not just you know, it's at, it's within Protestant circles as well. There's a whole new emphasis these days within Protestant evangelical circles even on focusing on the external to be holy. You know, the issue that we're being told that we need most of all is to, is to fix the system, the structures, the organizational structures. There are structures of repression. So there's this emphasis on the external. That's one approach. The other approach is the internal, that you are to be in the world, but not of the world. And this is the approach that Jesus is taking, the approach the Bible teaches, and the approach that the evangelical church historically has taken. Look at it like this. Look at it in terms of medical, a medical analogy. One approach is saying the way to avoid catching the contamination of unholiness is to not even get close to an infection. To be separate. You've got to be a long way away from it. The other approach is to say that actually what you need is the right strong immune system, the antibodies, so that you can be in the world but not of the world. And as I say, that's the approach that Jesus clearly is teaching here. And it's the approach that he took in his own life. He himself was in the world but not of the world. He hung out with sinners. He hung out with prostitutes. He hung out with people who were tax collectors, the hated people of his age. And, and yet he was not of the world. He was distinct. He was different. And that is what Jesus is asking that we would become. G.K. Chesterton one time was observing a conversation going on in the Times, the newspaper, the Times. And the conversation was about how... What is, what is wrong with the world? And G.K. Cheston wrote into this conversation in the Times like this. He said, Dear sirs, what is wrong with the world? Question mark. I am. Yours faithfully, G.K. Cheston. And that, of course, is the Christian attitude. There are lots of systems of repression around then, too. There was Rome. There were all the Pharisees. But Jesus here is praying that they be in the world but not of the world. He's praying they be sanctified. There must be a work of God in their own lives in order that they would shine like a light in a dark place. And that's the great prayer of Jesus, that we would be like that. So that's what we're looking at this morning. And, of course, the question is, how do we do that? And Jesus has five elements to his teaching here presented as he prays. Here they are. First of all, It's something God must do. It's something God must do. He says, Father, sanctify them. He's praying that God would do it. You, Father, sanctify them. It is something God must do. How important that is to remember. So we look around at people around us, we look around at the world, and we long that it would be more like Christ. One of the greatest teachings of today that is so mistaken 
is to say that, that, that we can just make people more moral, that we can make them more likely to follow the law or the commandments, that they can behave in a way that we approve of. And of course, all that happens is that people outside the church feel annoyed, that we're, we're, we're trying to dictate to them how they should behave. And, and it doesn't work because it must be God who's going to do it. And that is why we as a church have proclaiming the gospel as our motto. It is the power of God by the gospel, by the work of the Holy Spirit that must happen for us to be holy, for us to become like Christ. God must do it. And that is the first of these five elements. It is the work of God. But then, having said that, immediately Jesus adds in another element. And that other element is that we must do it. <laughs> he says, sanctify them in the truth. We must apply the truth. It is something we must do. We must understand it and apply it. And this is the consistent teaching of the Bible about wholeness. If you're not a Christian, you cannot please God. But when you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit is within you, and now you can please God. And so the Bible urges us to do so. Paul says in the letter to the Philippians, work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who is at work in you to will and act according to his good purpose. Work out what God is working within you. That is the call to the Christian. When Paul tells the thief to not steal, he doesn't say, you know, you Christian who's, who's stealing, you, know, you need to think about it some more. You need to reflect on it some more. You, you need to, you know, pray about it some more. He doesn't say that. He says the one who is stealing must stop stealing, must steal no more. Stop it. Why? Because if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit within you, and therefore you can obey Christ. Now, it's a lifelong process of sanctification. None of us become perfect until we're in glory in heaven. We'll always be struggling with indwelling sin. It's part of the nature of a Christian. We have the Holy Spirit within us, but we also have the old man, the old nature, and we're fighting against that. But as a Christian, we have the Holy Spirit, and we can fight, and we must. Stop it. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Apply the truth. And by the truth, Jesus means here the whole truth about the gospel, that God made us, that we're sinners, that Jesus died for us, that he loves us, that he has a purpose for us, that he is going to justify us, then he's going to sanctify us, that he's going to glorify us, and his purpose will stand. We stand in the truth of God. We put on the armor of God, every part of the righteousness, the the, 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 the truth buckled around like the belt of truth, the feet fitted with the redness from the gospel, the gospel of peace, every part of the truth of God applied so that we can stand against the devil and say no to sin. We must apply the truth. I, I, I remember one person who came to me with a particular problem in his life that he was struggling with. And he wanted to get together and talk, and so we, we met at a coffee shop to have this conversation. And um, I think he had a coffee and I had a, a, a cup of tea, so it was a cross-cultural moment. And uh, there we were uh, talking, and I'd had a pretty busy day. I think I'd been in pastoral conversations kind of all morning, one kind or another, and I'd listened a lot. You know, if you, have, if you ever do any counseling, you ever do any pastoral work, if you ever do any discipleship, it is key to listen. But I had listened for like four or five hours that day, and I knew this man pretty well. And he'd come to me about this issue, and I think he'd talked to me about it before. And he came to me again, he was talking about it over a cup of coffee and a cup of tea in a coffee shop. And as he talked, I said this after he finished. He said, you know, there are only two options. Number one, 
Here's what's going on. Number one, you're struggling with a severe mental disorder and you need to go and see a psychiatrist. Number two, you're wrestling with unconfessed sin and you need to repent. Those are your only two options, I said. He was kind of like, oh, wow. And we carried on talking. And then a month later, he came to me and said, you know that conversation we had in that coffee shop? I said, I'm so sorry. I'm so blunt. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. He said, no, 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 no. Thank you. I was struggling with unconfessed sin. I was hiding something from God, pretending it didn't matter. And your truth exposed it, and I dealt with it, and it's done with. You've got to apply the truth, and you have to do it yourself. Because you have the Holy Spirit, Christian, and you must fight against indwelling sin every day of your life, and you must do it. So that's the second element that Jesus here is teaching. The third one is about the word. He says, your word is truth. Your word is truth. Now, what does he mean by the word? What he means by the word is what he describes in verses 6 through to 8. And there he talks about the words that God has given him, verse 8, for the words that you gave me. And uh, the, the teaching, they've kept your word. So what Jesus here is describing is his own teaching that is reflected of God the Father's teaching. And in Jesus' teaching in the Gospels, as recorded for us in the Bible, we know that Jesus taught how the Old Testament is equally God's word. He treated it as God's word. As God says, Jesus quoted from the Old Testament. As God says, he quoted from the Old Testament. The scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, according to Jesus, were God's word. And then he also looked forward to the New Testament, the apostles that he sent out. He's saying the Spirit will lead you into all truth so that they can write the New Testament. So we have here the Old Testament and the New Testament, Jesus' word. So to summarize what Jesus is saying by saying your word is truth, he's talking about the Bible. The Bible. And once that becomes clear, are we surprised the church at large is so struggling with issues of Christ-likeness and character and holiness? There's so little Bible. So little Bible. You know, someone uh, said to me uh, just the other week, they're so grateful they found College Church. They said they'd been to 35 other churches in the area and he'd found two churches that were teaching the Bible. We were kind of interested to know what the other church was. The Bible. It's our hallmark. It's what we're about at every level as a church, the scriptures. Your word is truth. But then, of course, college church, we must ask, how are we doing? Yeah, we teach the Bible. You know, we estimate that we have something like 2,400 regular attendees as a church. I'm not talking about children and youth. I'm talking about adults. About 2,400 regular attendees. 
And our attendance on Sunday morning, with, across all our three services, is just south of 2,000. So that, of course, means that four, five hundred, six hundred regular attendees across that whole number are sort of not in church on a, on a Sunday morning. Now, I don't know enough about the patterns of behavior to know any more than that about our church, but across the country, it's becoming more common for Christians to say that the church that they attend twice a month, that's their church. Twice a month. Sermons about half an hour, give or take. Let's think about it, let's get real. Say you were studying for an exam. Say it was an accountancy exam. How well would you do if you studied for one hour a month? Not very well. How are we doing? We're bombarded with other messages every day of the week for our phones and TV and movie, all these other messages. But it is his word that is truth. And that's how we're going to become more like Jesus. So the third element is his word. The fourth element is mission. Jesus says here, as the Father, verse 18, has sent me, so I am sending them into the world. Mission. Jesus was sent to come and seek and save the lost. That's why he came, to seek and save the lost. And we similarly, we Christians, have been sent into the world to seek and save the lost. So here we have it. We often think that evangelism and holiness are opposite ends of the spectrum. If you're going to be evangelistic, you're not going to be very holy. And you're very holy, you're not going to be very evangelistic. But Jesus has here, right in the midst of his prayer, this section of the prayer about holiness, sanctify them in the truth, right in the middle of it is a call to mission that he's sending us into the world to seek and save the lost. And evangelism and holiness actually go together. They should go together. They must go together. Paul prays in his letter to, the, to Philemon, he says there, I'm praying that the sharing of your faith will help you come into a full knowledge of everything you have in the Lord Jesus Christ. As someone shares their faith, they realize more and more all that they have in the Lord Jesus Christ. When you tell a Muslim about Jesus, you're just so grateful that you know Jesus. When you tell someone who doesn't believe that God exists about the purpose and joy that you have, you're so grateful of all that you have in Jesus. Holiness and evangelism go together. God's plan is for a holy people on mission. Remember, holiness means set apart for God's service. I did about 20 years or so of evangelism in university, secular university campuses of one kind or another. And I found over those 20 years there was a consistent pattern of those students who stayed committed to Jesus after their university days. And here was the pattern. It's very simple. Two parts to it. Number one, those who stayed committed to Jesus were those who found and regularly attended a Bible teaching church. Your word is truth. Sanctify them by the truth. They attended 99% of the time, if a student just turned up on a Sunday morning every week to hear Bible teaching, they'd be fine. 
That was part of it. The other part of it, though, was they were active in personal evangelism. Because when you're active in personal evangelism, you learn what you don't know. And then you find out the answer to it. You're right there in the world, but you're not of the world. And that's what Jesus is calling them to. I'm sent them into the world. And it's part of being holy, set apart for God's service. As he was sent, so we are sent. Well, the fifth and last element here is in verse 19. He says there, and for their sake, I consecrate myself. Though the word for consecrate is also the same word as used for sanctify in this passage. So when Jesus says, and for their sake, I consecrate myself, more literally it would be, and for their sake, I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. Now, of course, the reason why our translations don't have I sanctify myself is because when someone says I I need to sanctify myself, the presumption in English is that they're not yet sanctified, that they're not yet holy. But, of course, Jesus was sanctified. He was holy. And so what does he mean by praying that he has sanctified himself? What he means is, remember the definition of sanctification, set apart for God's service. What he's talking about here is his, his birth, that he humbled himself and became obedient to be born as a man for your sake, set apart for God's service, to come and seek and save the lost for your sake. What he's talking about here is his life and his teaching, his beautiful words, well, not just beautiful, but truthful words, his life without compromise, And filled with conviction, the perfect Son of God, for your sake. What he means here is his death and resurrection for your sake. For your sake. That you might be sanctified. That, of course, is the end goal of salvation. What that means is that a Christian cannot say... I made a decision for Jesus, but I don't really treat him as my Lord. I made a decision for Jesus, but I don't really want to be holy. Because the end goal of all this work of Christ on the cross, the end goal of all the work of salvation is that we also would be holy as he is holy. Set apart for God's service. And therefore, as a holy people, we will be those who honor him, who declare his praises, who are on mission for him, who are committed to obedience with the power that Christ has given us by his Holy Spirit. And therefore increasingly a holy people. To God's great praise and glory. Oh Lord God we do pray that would be true of us. We pray Lord that we would indeed become more and more like you.
we confess before you our bitterness, our pride, our lack of holiness. And we thank you, Lord, that you have a purpose that we would become more and more like you, set apart for God's service. We pray, Lord, that we would be active in pursuing holiness, that we would put to death the deeds of the flesh, that we would flee from youthful lusts, That those who are older among us would not grow up to be grumpy, older men and women, but grow up to be godly, older men and women. That those who are young among us would use their vigor and strength for your mission, for your work set apart for your service. Oh, Lord God. What a great need there is for a holy people on mission. We pray, Lord, that we would love your word and love the world. That we would seek and save the lost. We pray, Lord, for those who don't yet know you here, who have no desire stirring within them to be holy, who think it sounds all very boring and unexciting, who haven't yet encountered you with all your glory and beauty and power. Oh, I pray, Lord, that they would come to meet you this morning, that you by your Spirit would reach out and regenerate old and young alike, so that together with us they could be on the path of becoming more and more like you. And we ask this to your glory, and in the name of Jesus. Amen.